The event is so momentous that historians may one day view it as a landmark in the decline of the British Empire. The Beatles are breaking up. Hello. Hello. Here we go. Welcome, Welcome back. back. For the big one. All pods must cast. All pods must cast today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow, very uh, clever. Yeah, I know. That was sort of a very today. clever reworking of George Harrison's classic song. Oh, yeah, it's on that album that um his be- his best or the maybe the best mm. um maybe the best maybe the album, best album ever released about. by any four of these guys post breakup. I don't know, you decide. Yeah, I um, mean a lot of people say that. We're going to get into maybe why that is and maybe why it's not it is funny because today I, I i think that this album all mm-hmm. things must pass episode yeah. four. Oh um, yeah, yeah i think this album is kind of the the one where once you start like digging into this deeper uh level beatles listening yeah this is the one where i i just remember in high school you shit your pants. hearing this and being like like going to school and like being like actually George Harrison is kind of the best one. Yeah. Do you know about this album? It, yeah. This feels like that it one. It does feel like that. It's definitely like when you really get into this album, you realize exactly how fucking talented George Harrison is. And, and this is kind you, of the flex it's one. It's not that you can't really get that from his work in the Beatles, but I don't know. A lot of the times, sadly, he's overshadowed in a lot of different sections of the Beatles discography. And that's the main sort of thrust of this album, isn't it? It's, but the it's, whole time he's been rising like a phoenix, right? And this he's is been sort of waiting. He's got all these fucking songs he's been writing that he doesn't really show anyone because he doesn't think they're good enough. Mm-hmm. And then fucking bam, here they are. And yeah, and this and that is sort of the narrative of this album is this is his triumphant breakthrough. Yeah. After being in kind of an oppressive yeah co- he's collaboration. He's been cooking. Yeah. He's been in a he's been in an oven like and a piece of bread. And he hasn't, and the exactly. and the bread was really well made. It's just not done yet. Yeah, and but he wasn't it's done really... now. In nineteen, in November twenty seventh of of nineteen seventy, when this, when All Things Must Pass was released in record stores, and it went to number one of the record charts of the album charts. And you know, it was number one in the single charts. Hmm. My sweet lord. Okay. At the same wow. time, he had both number one positions. Well, yeah, and that's another interesting thing about this album is not only is it sort of a creative triumph after being sort of held back by. Lennon and McCartney, but also sales wise, this one is like yeah. way more successful than yes. either of their stuff is yes. this year. And he was, uh, George Harrison was the first be- uh, Beatle member to have a number one. Oh, really? After they broke up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah, this really is sort of his um, moment of breakthrough and sort of like proving to himself and to the world and everybody else, because he probably knew himself. That he had all this yeah, great stuff. that but. he may be the quiet beetle, but he's actually being quiet and secretly cooking. Right, right. In the oven. Like and then bread. everybody else. Like a really good piece of bread. Or, or you know, But proving. it's done now. He's proving, and now he's in the oven. Yes. Um, yes, it's yeah. very well baked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very well baked. It's I want Paul Hollywood bake. to take a bite of All Things Must Pass. You know, it is funny mm. that it's taken us this long to get into... Uh, Referencing baking show? Yeah, yeah. And Paul Hollywood. Yeah, here's the thing. Because he's um, such a British man. Me and Jack, we watch a lot of baking show um, with two of our other friends that won't be mentioned right now. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. 
All things must pass. Talk Is about it like your, a piece of bread. Yeah. Talk about your your history with baking this bad boy. Oh, and, uh, this, um, and eating it up. Okay. Um. So, to be honest, I never got to listen to this, or never, um, got the chance, or made myself listen to this album all the way through as a kid. Um, I knew a couple songs off of it. Of course, I knew My Sweet Lord, and I knew What Is Life. My mom really liked that one, and it was on a couple of her playlists, and it was one of my favorite songs ever, honestly. It was up there with some of my favorite Beatles songs. I've always really, really, really loved What Is Life, and uh, yeah, it's still my favorite song on the record. We'll we'll get into that. Um, But really, I only knew those two songs until high school, until I started to get more into the album. And listen to it, but even then, I I wasn't the biggest fan. I loved a lot of the songs, but I I didn't love it as much as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason maybe because I was listening to the 2014 remaster mm-hmm. on Spotify that I thought was the standard album. We'll get into that. It's also sort of an intimidating. It album. is. It's it really is. long. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff on there. You skip around, dense. I think, especially when you first listen to it. You skip around. Yeah. I did. Um. Yeah, it, for me, I already kind of alluded to it, but I got into this in high school once Once you're kind of like, at least for me, the Harrison and Dylan connection was something that was intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if not for you and then all that stuff. And then it becomes the one that you're kind of like, actually, George Harrison is really good. Yeah, I think this, <laughs> you know? listening to All Things Must Pass, it's like, okay, let's talk about like um, comparing childhood, teenagehood, and adulthood to being a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. I think... All Things Must Pass, listening to All Things Must Pass, recognizing how good it is, getting into it, is kind of like growing up as a Beatles fan. It's certainly like an activation point, I think, mm-hmm. in order to um, get into these other stuff that we're going to be talking about, yeah, too. Yeah, but I think this one is especially the big one that you, yeah. that you get into first. This is the big one that everyone says to listen to. Except now, nowadays, I think with the recent um, new popularity of Ram, that's kind of becoming the new one to get into. Yeah, well, it's. We'll get into. I feel like it's kind Very of gone soon. through this weird lifespan of at first it was like really received well critically and, mm-hmm. you know, people do like this one a lot. Those. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was still maybe not as popular as something like Imagine or Band on the Run or something. But I then. Don't know, the songs maybe. But even I think the album itself is is more popular well, than those albums. I think it has become but maybe not that song. since then. Yeah. But I think when it first came out, like the first few decades after its release, I think that was sort of the idea. But now it's become sort of the heavyweight. Yeah. And then at this point, it's become so well established that, like you say, it's kind of going off to these other albums. Maybe that it's yeah. just all this stuff is ripe yeah, for it's, exploration. It's, yeah. Um, I was. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a. Um, during quarantine, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie had all these like um, YouTube live videos of him mm. answering Q and A's and uh, performing live. It was it was so awesome. But one of the Q and A's was like a Beatle based one, and one of the questions was, "What what's your favorite Beatles solo album?" And immediately he's like, "Well, I mean, the right answer is All Things Must Pass." Yeah, that's the thing. I I and I'll get into my general thoughts in a sec here too. But um, I I do think this one is sort of like the undeniable. Yeah, no, it's undeniably Classic. great. You can't, yeah. you, you can't really fight it. And especially once you really get into it and once you listen to it a few times, you're hooked. And I think um, once, you know, there there are some that I occasionally go to more or that I might have a personal preference over this, but it is hard to say that there are any 
any better than this. You know, even honestly, for me with like Beatles albums, this is like Up among there? the very yeah, highest. And, and that. I've heard a lot of our friends talk about that, and yeah. honestly, I respect that take. It's uh, it's really good, and it for me, um, I'll get in my general opinions here because like it has a mix of a lot of stuff I really like. Like he has a lot of sort of American rootsy influence. He has influence mm-hmm. from the band. He has kind of gospel influences and mm-hmm. Delaney and Bonnie and Billy Preston and mm-hmm. Dylan and the band. Um, all these people that he's kind of working with and hearing things from add a lot to this. It's just, it's just fucking badass. And it becomes like a, like a rich tapestry of all that stuff. Plus the spiritualism that he's, um, experimenting with yeah. and diving into but then also and, plus the uh, like the delicacy and complexity of Beatles arrangements yeah right he's, he's right. a Beatle and he, he on he knows how to arrange like one and play mm-hmm. like one too and so I think to a lot of people this was the next Beatles album yeah yeah click closest to it especially when you compare what the others are doing this That's is true. the next this is carrying the torch yeah but it has it does have that like Beatles poppiness plus it does the, the Beatles roots. strings and the horns yeah and the triumph and the singing and harmonies and all of that yeah, yeah plus the American rootsiness and the gospel and then this sort of like eastern part of it too with the yeah. harmonies and stuff that he's learning from that and select guitar um so it's it's a very it's 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 a, and it kind of like some of these songs there are some real rockers like you're saying like Beatlesy rockers mm-hmm. and then there are some that makes me like picture like an image of and this might be a little problematic i don't know but like an image oh. of some like guru on the mountainside who you've like hiked this is a so long prob- way you gotta stop the podcast right <laughs> but it, it cre- creates that image right episode of all that he's like this bearded guru who's yeah. giving out well, spiritual he advice is. he yeah. actually is though if um, you, um if you guys haven't seen what george looked like at the time of this uh go ahead look it up right now also, we're, I mean, follow us on our Instagram. We're posting pictures of George during this period, too. We've got some at cool all ass, cast. You uh, can pictures from... On Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, you can email us at allpodsmustcast at gmail.com. Please email us. And we've got, yeah, we've got... Cool Are you baking bread? From... If you're baking bread, um, please send us some. We like all kinds of bread. We'll eat bread all day. We like to eat bread before the podcast. Make sure we're full and energized and ready. That's true. Um, we don't really like to eat any protein on the day of recording a podcast because... I don't know. We just like to be full. Like I don't really like to and... eat it if I can help it. Yeah. Honestly, no, just I, I avoid protein as much as possible. Yeah. There's bread in my house. Anyway, so send us bread um, and email us um, and I'll give you my address. But what do you think of this album now? Like, I, I, I get, is it, is it your favorite? Is it your favorite? No. Of all these? Okay. It's in my top three. Yeah. I mean, but it's not my favorite. We'll get yeah. to that. That's the thing. It's It's hard to like... I, and I don't even really like doing that kind of thing, but this one is sort of the undeniable. Even if yeah. it's not your favorite, this one you have to acknowledge. And I mean, it's our namesake for God's sake. Our namesake you know? for God's sake. Yeah. True. Yeah. For namesake. Wait. All pods must. Oh, that's that, what. That's that how you came is. up with this. Yes. Yes. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm joking. You know what? I, I wasn't joking about though. Is that I really didn't know about the James Corden thing. And I'm gonna bring it up every episode. Oh, I don't. I I, I honestly Corden, would Corden. prefer not to talk about James Corden every episode. Okay, I feel do you like want to cut that this out. Be, we'll and the edit point is here. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
Well, should we talk about a little bit of the history and context of this one? And, um, and so we we've already sure. talked about how it's like his big breakthrough point of writing all these songs that he's been writing for a long time. Yeah, but hasn't been able to get on the albums. There are some that have been um, denied from Beatles albums since 1966, since Revolver. And it's funny because All Things Must Pass was supposed to be on, or not supposed yeah, to, but he wrote it. was played during the Get Back session. Right, right. So it's kind of funny that that's one that they reject, and then he and titles the, the album it, and it becomes way more successful than yeah. anything Yeah, and also, did. the other thing is... The album ends up calling Let It Be. Here's my hot take. Uh, the song All Pods Must Cast fucking stomps on the song Let It the Be. The song All Pods Must Cast? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our new song that you just heard yeah, at the beginning of the our, intro. Our theme song. Stomps on Let It Be. <laughs> Which it has no Anyway, way. we have a new theme song. We Let hope you liked it. Yeah. We just did it. We, we did it. We, we just did it. We were... For the old heads know we we had an original theme song that we have... The old heads. ...gotten yes. rid of uh, because... Any new heads don't, no. No, you, no. You probably won't, Fake fans will yeah. we'll never hear it. No. Um, but but we, all the old heads know that we had a we had a, an outtake of Wawa from this album. And we realized that these four sake. guys are um, A, very famous. Yes. And B, very litigious. Yes. In, <laughs> you know. Um, so we got, we got scared. So we went ahead and just did our own. Yeah. Um, in honor of uh, All Things Must Pass. But... Mm-hmm. All Pots Must Cast theme song. Yes. And you, which you think is better than Let It Be. And I Anyway, agree. what I was saying, the, the song All Things Must Pass, the song off the album, all, the song All Things Must Pass off the album All Things Must Pass, um, fucking stomps on the song Let It Be. Really? Um, I'm sure a lot like of y'all out there maybe are, are rustling in your seat right now. You may be, um, I don't know, oiling up your knuckles to come punch me in the face. So that there's oil on my face when you punch me, you can do that if you want. That's what I u- That's what I'm usually doing <laughs> while you're talking. Just in case. oiling up my knuckles. I honestly like zoned out for a little bit of that sentence and had no idea what you were talking about. Ooh, nice um, foley. <laughs> um, but you know I'm right. You know I'm right. Listen to all pods must. I mean, oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> Do listen to All Pods Must Cast. I hope you are. I hope you do. <laughs> listen to All Things Must Pass, and then listen to Let It Be, and then listen this to All is... Things Must Pass again, and you're going to be like, well, fuck, I was wrong. I think and this then is you're going to need to go wash your hands and get all that oil off your hands, because you're not going to want to punch me in the face after you do that. This is going to happen ten times, where we're going to call it All Pods Must Cast throughout the... Anyway. The, the album. The song, or the album. Uh, yeah, because this is the the big... The biggie. Um, the biggie, the bigger. This is the, this is the one... This is the album. Um, well, and and another thing. This I, is the one. Before we like, it's like a, it's like a, it's honestly like a piece of bread. Oh wow, good point. I hadn't thought of it that way before. <laughs> um, but no, so these are all songs that he's been written writing um, in the previous few years and have been trying to yes. get on the albums. Um, he's been like working with Bob Dylan, who we mentioned earlier. Yes, he goes to visit first, him in, the first time in 1968. Which at that point. Bob is like basically in hiding. He's in Woodstock um, after that's his so, so motorcycle badass. crash, yeah, which yeah. who knows if that's real or not. But <laughs> either way, he like disappears from the public eye. Uh, he goes to Woodstock and starts making music with the band and the Big Pink. And that's when George comes and visit him is like so cool. in the middle of the basement tape stuff, um, which is awesome. Yeah, I would love to hear George and Dylan and the band like come up with some songs, oh, which yeah. they do which um 
Which one of the ones that which he writes with Bob Dylan? Yeah, opens this fucking album, and it's one of the best songs. It is, but but and but Dylan and then Delaney and Bonnie and just a bunch of '70s '60s musicians. It's it's a huge lineup who play on this actual album and who are involved with it. You got Eric Clapton, obviously. You got a bunch of people from Derek and the Dominoes. Got fucking Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. Klaus Wolverman. Uh, Klaus Vorman. Vorman, sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Sorry, Klaus. Klaus, who who I will you, come Klaus. up a lot. How, how do you say it again? Uh, Klaus Vorman. Vorman. I said, okay. Who w- was the bassist for Manfred Mann. Remember but me before also, that. Yeah, um, they met him in Hamburg in their days in Hamburg. Yeah, he was a buddy of theirs back um, in the early and days. And he drew the revolver cover for them. And he's just, he's just kind of crazy. their One go-to of the bassist for these early solo stuff. Um, after... He he's kind of like the replacement Paul in some ways, not really, Damn. but just in terms of bass. I know, what you, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, yeah, he kills it on bass on this album. He does, and on the and next honestly, one. I think he does kind of take a few notes from Paul because there's a lot of times where he just plays the melody, you know, like on the intro to What Is Life. We'll uh, get into that, yeah. you know, like where he's 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 very melodic with the bass playing. But he's a super important figure in these albums, um, especially early on in these '70s albums. Uh, we're going to be coming back to him. We'll Ooh, talk probably more about him next toes. next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But also the other guy we should talk about is Pete Drake, who's on this album. Oh, yes. We talked we about last week. Last... Yeah. Oh, God. Did you guys like that episode? Um, oh. I hope you did. We... But he's he's like yeah, the big uh, Nashville steel pedal player who uh-huh. who comes into London to play on this album. Oh. Um, and we were talking about the pedal steel thing because I agree with you. Like a lot of this album is very not washy, but it's sort of like dreamy. Sl- yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the slide guitar is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And um, but the pedal steel is also a part of it, right? But then it's hard to tell what's pedal steel and what's slide. And you mentioned that earlier before before we were, when on we were in the kitchen I, I i think the same thing like a lot of times i'm trying to parse it and i'm like wait is this slide or is this pedal steel yeah but they both kind of like fit together in a really cool jigsaw-y way yeah to create sort of the yeah, sound and of sometimes they're playing at the same time even yeah yeah or like echoing each other right right um yeah it's oh god i just love pedal steel but i also love slide guitar the thing is i want to know it's it's like you can kind of tell what slide guitar just from the way that George plays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the way I can tell them most of, most of the time. But sometimes I can't tell, and I I would like to know. It's like, wait, is that George or is that Pete Drake? But in some ways, like not knowing, it kind of helps you get lost in sort of the it does. the Good bed. Point. Oh, um, also in the bed. In yeah, in the bed of sound. But, oh, okay, okay. Which, by the way, I thought you meant we George, should talk about the the Phil Specterness of this all because I've got a lot to say about that. Oh God! But he's Phil the producer Spectre. for this. And I think for the most part... It's a miracle that this album is as good as it is with well, him at the wheel. I well, mean, it's not here's that he, what okay, I'll he say. Did do some good st- he, he did some good things. Here's what I I'll say about the Phil Spector thing. And I'm going to have a lot to say about this as we talk about the songs. But I think in general on this album, his whole thing, he's working with a very deft hand and he's working more subtly where his whole kind of wall of sound idea is being built up piece by piece throughout these songs so that... It starts smaller, and then by the end, you almost don't even realize how big it is because it's been set up so With the whole carefully. album? Um, as it, no, as with, it grows or with songs? With songs. Okay, okay. Like with pieces like horns are added in and mm-hmm. strings, and you almost don't even notice. Like what is life? 
yeah exactly until by the end it's really uh-huh. and so that is when it works really well for me i do i some of this album and you know there are things about this album which i i kind of raise my eyebrow at and one of those things is the specter specteriness of it all mm-hmm. um but that's when it works best for me but sometimes there are moments where it's just like this is oh. this is too much sorry you know? i accidentally hit the mic that's okay i'll just cut it out okay <laughs> um but sometimes there are spectery <laughs> moments where I'm like, this is a little bit much. You know what I mean? Um, yes. I was Okay, hold on. Let me look up something about Phil Spector. Okay. Are you going to look up that he killed his girlfriend? Because um, we don't yeah, necessarily we, need to get into do that. Do we need right to talk now. about that? I don't think we need to talk about that right now. I think if people don't know, then it is known that he was a, he was a bad guy. Yeah. But, uh, no, I was just looking up that picture of him in the courtroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look up Phil Spector in the courtroom. Yeah, because he You'll looks crazy. His hair. He looks insane. He's deranged. Also, we need to talk about the fact that this is the same guy who fucking stomped and trashed on Let It Be. Yeah. Or turned Get Back, really. Turned Get Back Sessions into Let It Be. I. That's the thing. I have a really complicated relationship with him as a producer. As a guy, obviously, he sucks. But as a producer... Sometimes he's really good, and sometimes, like with Let It Be, yeah, he doesn't know. It, he, does, he doesn't really, really know bad. what he's doing. I guess he was also being directed kind of by Alan Klein, so we don't know exactly how much of that he was being told to do and how much he decided to do himself. Um, but I don't think he really understood the intention of the Get Back Sessions, and then made right. it into like a overglorified Beatles breakup album and through some unnecessary string arrangements on stuff like let it be and the long you wanted road that um paul didn't even approve and was very mad about and the thing that i'm also very mad about yeah and the thing that i don't like about those is they are so obvious and um in your face just thrown in that's really annoying which i don't think they are on obviously this album like for the not most part. planned like it wasn't like when they did the song okay this is when the arrangement's gonna come in or this is when the fucking choir is gonna come in right and I think the difference on this album is you. Yeah, it's they not were planned, as, and it's not as obvious. Yes, it's a little more. It's subtle. not thrown in. You know, like it, there's intention and right, and um, it's a little more subtle. Yeah, and it, it was part of the plan. So I, I, I don't mind his his arrangements on this or his 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 ideas about yeah. the walls of sound. I think it works. Occasionally, um, it's annoying but I'm, to I'm me. I'm still mad at him. Yeah, and occasionally it's annoying to me on this album. But for the most because part, then when like you it. when you listen to and we'll have to get into this a lot more later. But when you listen to, especially like the stuff that's on early takes, volume one, mm-hmm. George Harrison, or the stuff left over from All Things Must Pass, and you hear how bare bones they were, yeah, right, you kind right. of think, well, would some of these been better like that? I agree. I don't know. Yeah, I think some of them could. And the thing is, some of these songs do have a much more intimate sound and a much more stripped back sound. Um, yeah, but it's not by, I guess, I guess like run in the mill. Right, right. Or Apple Struffs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and those are like nice reprieves from the whole yeah. Spectre-y, Wagner stuff. Yeah. Um, I think Let It Down is a great example of. Ex- that's, that's what comes to mind immediately yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but do you want to get in, get into it? Please don't copyright me. Is that an original? No, it's it was I had I'd have you anytime. Oh, the first song from All Things Must Pass. Yes, all things must yes. pass. Oh yes, yes. Being covered on all pods must cast by 
Kai Jaber Anderson, Jack Dungeon. Here. Present. Here. Hello. Good. I'm glad we're getting this out of the way uh, now. Are you baking <laughs> bread are. for us? Do you have any bread for me? Me? No, our, our listeners. Do you have any bread? Why are you British? <laughs> I'm James Gordon. <laughs> you I keep mean, calling Gordon. James Gordon. <laughs> Uh, star of yesterday. Oh, anyway, oh, um, oh, and Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Oh, well, we could just run down the cast list of that movie <laughs> if we want. But let's, you know what? Let's not do that. That's that would should, be that'd be a little crazy. That, we that would get be, a little distracted. That'll be next. That's week, not. Maybe. That's not what the point of this podcast yeah. is. We have to get serious. We're gonna talk about "I'd Have You Anytime," the first song off George Harrison's spectacular "All Things Must Pass" album. Seminal, seminal album. Oh, I'd have you anytime. Okay. This one is one of my favorites. Do you want to go first, or should I go? Sure, first? I have sure. something to say. You okay? No, you no, go. no. You go. You okay, go. fine. Okay, you go. Um, no, um, what I okay, you go. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, no, I I really do love this song. This is one of my favorites, and this is exactly what I mean with the whole subtle um, production thing. Is it starts off really delicate and quiet, and it's so delicate that it feels like you know any light touch will knock it over. It's like a Jenga piece or something that's a good way to describe it and the thing is like the way the progression is it feels like it's kind of unfolding before you it's yeah. like giving you a little touch and then it unfolds and i think and at the beginning it's not the progression at least the harmonic the chords mm-hmm. they uh there is something like it's like kind of like creeping up on you yeah exactly it's like someone's behind you and they're about to give you a big hug and it and the longer You're it like, goes on who the, is that the more it kind of blooms and it's opens up and and it's able to let you breathe um, and it doesn't give it to you right away, but I think once it gets into the like, oh, all the I have is guitar. yours. God. Oh. Well, and then once it hits there, then it's really able to breathe. And I think yeah, something that's the big flower blooming moment. That's yeah. Um, spring, spring has come. And I think a song that we that is also like that is is something. Um, True. Um, it, and it. Sorry, I'm it, messing with this piece of tape. That's a. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> What was I saying? God damn it. <laughs> Losing my fucking Anyways, what I was going to... No, no, sorry, no, sorry, no, sorry, no. Sorry. No, yeah, you go. Um, but, you go. Oh, yeah, something. Something, <laughs> something um, yes. breathes and it opens up in the same way that this song does. Yes, I do think... I've I've said that, too, where I think this song is most similar to something. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they both have, like, kind of the, the weird meter changes. Like, something has the sort of syncopation, uh-huh. the tr- and then the tr- this has, like, the, the sort of... The fills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this has sort of the transition from the duple to triple also which he's really like, good at I, I haven't looked at the chords before but i feel like it's not i feel like the chorus is kind of a different key from the verse isn't it or it's it just very just well a, could be a very I don't interesting know. progression yeah it's it's weird but something does that too it goes from yeah. c to a um and i think that's something he's really good at is like he doesn't intellectualize these things as much as other musicians do mm-hmm. in terms of it just feels right that's what exactly he yeah and and with tempo and me- not tempo but meter he's really good at that too where if you try to track the beats of these it's kind of hard to do especially on something like run of the mill um where you just really have to feel it mm-hmm. and kind of know it on a intellectual or dare i say spiritual level spiritual you know. yeah um, that's something we're going to talk about a lot with this album that's how it feels yeah but, but what do you have to say about this one um the thing okay and i don't mean to talk about so much about you know, the elephant in the room the band that came before this podcast. The band? Not Hell that yeah. band. Let's do it. <laughs> the band. Levon Helm? Hell yeah. <laughs> Robbie Robertson. Garth Hudson. Rick Danker. And of course, Richard Manuel. Oh, okay. 
the thing the thing about opening an album like this is basically it's an act of defiance against every every single album that George Harrison has been a part of before mm-hmm. this album uh, has opened with an absolute banger. Hits the ground running with an upbeat rocker. That's the way that they knew how to open albums. Starting with I Saw Her Standing There, ending with Come Together, everything in between opens absolute banger. It's a rocker. Mm. It grabs your attention. It grabs you. Help. Hard Day's Night. Drive My Car. Taxman. The George even wrote. They're all, they were picked to be the, the headliner, the, the opener of the album for a reason. George's first album outside of the Beatles is in direct defiance to that. And he, he wants to do something completely different and something that he thinks will work. And he opens with one of the most mellow, um, soothing, dreamy songs mm-hmm. on the album. And it eases you into the whole album. And it straight away, going from this to My Sweet Lord to Wawa yeah. is a buildup. Yes, it's, I, it's I agree. A, you're going up. And a lot of Beatles albums, they don't do that. Like if you think about Come Together Into Something or... Taxman into Eleanor Rigby or Drive My Car into Norwegian Wood. It, it grabs you and then it settles you in. Mm-hmm. He's doing the opposite here. Yeah. And it works so well, but it's it's nothing like the Beatles ever did and nothing that he's ever been a part of. It's like just opening with I'd Have You Any Time signals this. Like he's just a genius. He's a genius as much as every other Beatles member is. And, and he's making a point of it. Yeah, and it's he very much it. his kind of personality and vibe too. Yeah, to true. This way. is George Harrison. This isn't the Beatles. You know? Yeah, right. Even though a lot of this is a reminder of the Beatles and sounds like the Beatles because it's George. Mm-hmm. You know, he's also he's he's putting an act against it. Yeah, exactly. And um, I I agree with you that this, like what I was saying with the whole unfolding thing, it does unfold and it breathes at the chorus or whatever, but it doesn't really like breathe and have the big moment until I think the next song, my sweet Lord, like it flows really well into it. It is does. What I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it, the, the first, I think the album just flows so well. Yeah. Like it feels like those two songs are kind of of a piece with each other. They, honestly, I think of it even as Wawa as part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I think right. that my sweet Lord doesn't even have the big, the opening of Wawa is like the first, like, huge climax Rocker. of the album yeah yeah, yeah. like um, i think if it was if this was a beatles album they would have opened with wawa yeah and and i think that the dylan part of this too i think it's interesting because he co-wrote this with mm-hmm. bob yeah in 1968 when he went to visit him right time. right so i think having that sort of emphasis on american music singer songwriter mm-hmm. type music is a you know marked shift from more like British invasiony poppy openers. Yeah, like I think it's the, yeah. the most American folk rock that George has uh, like partaked in since Rubber Soul. Yeah, yeah, and you it know sets what up George's this whole favorite album. Beatles album was? Interesting fact. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that it's not the one you just said. No, it is. <laughs> oh. George's favorite album is Rubber Soul. Oh, I see, I see. That Isn't makes that sense. awesome. That's cool. You know, that's my favorite album. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, hey, that's all right. You know, you continue. You no, no, we're the I listeners are the listeners are getting a viewpoint into the into hello the listeners twisted mind of Kai Brandis. Are you making bread? <laughs> Who's this bread guy? <laughs> it's me, He's British. But no, you're not British, are you? Uh, I'd prefer not to answer that right now. 
I can tell by that accent that you are. <laughs> um, uh, what, okay. Okay. What about my sweet lord? You start this. Oh one. Jesus! Literally. Um, well, maybe. Can you believe this is when, this was in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two? Was it? Yes. <laughs> really? When they go to um, his dad's planet, and it's like they're going to the, you know, like how his dad is a planet. Okay. The first time they like they're on a ship and they're like going around it, my sweet lord is playing, and they're like, it's like, oh, wow. trippy, spiritual. This is uh, not the first time you've brought up Guardians of the Galaxy on this. Uh, well, on what this can I show. say? They fucking their tr- soundtracks have fucking everything. There you go. There's there everything go. in their soundtracks. Um. Anyway, my sweet lord. My sweet lord. I've known this song since I was a little kid. I've loved it for a really long time. Um. But in the context of the album, I love it even more because it's not only is it a perfect uh, segue into what this album has to come, but it's a perfect little mm-hmm. like, I love songs that are kind of like a pocket of really um, the most catchy and poppy song of the album. And mm-hmm. they put it at the front. Yeah. Um, I, I really do. All, I think that singles of, of an album belong in the second track. And that's a trope throughout um, pop and rock albums that I really love. Mm-hmm. And I love when songs kind of capture the essence or message or vibe of an album. Mm-hmm. And they put it um, right at the front. And you kind of just... Because um, it's just a perfect glimpse of what the album has. But it's in a uh, in a little box of groovy, catchy, pop, number one hit single. Yeah. And so it it's the one that everyone knows and so if you're listening to this album you you know you hear out of have you any time and you're just kind of put in a trance of dreaminess and then bam that catchy one that's on the radio um pulls you out of the dreaminess and into the grooviness and then you're ready to hear the rest of the album after um anyway i think the big thing about this album i mean about this song is that every time i listen to it i don't exactly i can't describe the feeling that it gives me Mm -hmm. but it is a very unique spiritual type of feeling that a lot of even, dare I say, Beatles songs don't necessarily have. I'm not saying that Beatles songs don't also give me chills and shivers and make me feel like there's something bigger than I, that I could never be a part of you feel in like terms of the human race. Sure. Yeah, there's something magic about it, uh, magical about it. But this song uh, inherently has some sort of unknown spiritual factor in it. And I'm not even spiritual, but this song makes me feel just yeah. something very um, inhuman. Yeah. Well, that's that's I, I really like that about this song because, um, I w- and I would be interested to hear a more spiritual person's take on this song because yeah. I think it is a praise song, but it it comes at it from a very unique angle yeah. of sort of because it's not st- claiming one religion. Yeah. It has phrases from multiple different religions. Exactly. And that and this whole album does, which I really like about it. Mm-hmm. It talks about Jesus, you know, Hare Krishna, all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it makes it feel like one thing. But it, this song is is a praise song, but it also feels like it's uh comes at it from a very unique angle with like sort of a struggle with that almost of like yeah. I really want to see you. It takes so long, but yeah. um so that's that's kind it's, of a cool. It's angle. kind of like um not like a, a harsh frustration. Um, just being flustered with the idea that, uh, you know, there is something bigger out there. Right. And just um, having and whether that Whether or not faith, you want to, you know, associate that with religion. Right. Or just associate it with that, with life in general, is that there's so much out there. Yeah. There's so much out there to see and to, to do and to be. But 
but it takes time, so long. At the same time, you're so small. Yeah, it takes you, so you know, long. You're only one work. person. Mm-hmm. And how can you get there? And when when will you see it? You know. And it's yeah. it's it's wanting to to be there so bad, but you know. But it, it takes so long. Out. You know. It takes so long. And um and one thing I want to say with this song too, in terms of its length, because there are a lot of really long songs on this mm-hmm. album. Um, and it occurred to me while watching the Scorsese documentary um, that we've seen together. Twice. Yes, yeah, we've seen it quite a bit. We watched it in preparation for this. Uh, living in the material world. Oh, please check um, it out if you haven't. Yeah, it's so good. good. Um, while you're doing that, go ahead and make and, some bread for you. Yeah, that's true. And, Enjoy. And then while you're spread. at while you're at doing that, while you're at making bread for yourself, go ahead and make a batch for us. And Email us at allpogsmostcast at gmail dot com. Follow us on Instagram. Address, follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Um, you can DM us. That's true. Well, wait, wait, wait. I'm losing okay. my track. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So the movie. Um, Martin Scorsese, Living in the Material World, the documentary. Yes. Okay, yeah. One thing that occurred to me <laughs> while watching that movie was he's being interviewed at one point, and he's talking Eric about... Um, no. <laughs> Although, <laughs> hold on. We'll talk about that right after this. I've, let me make my goddamn point here. Um, he's being interviewed about mantras and chanting and, um, Uh he goes on this thing about how you can get lost in it for hours. Yeah, once you start chanting, you don't want to stop. And how it's hypnotic. Uh Uh-huh. And a lot of these songs feel that way to me. Where, especially because this one literally has mantras Mm -hmm. chanted in it. Yeah. Um, and it gives you that sense, I think, of being hypnotic and lulled into this thing Mm -hmm. that... Um, and a lot of these songs have that quality. And I think that's why a lot of them are so long is because they have that sort of hypnotic mantra chanting feel to them. Yeah. And here's the thing that I think about this song that let's, okay, let's talk about the way that John approaches the, the conflict in the, in the world at this time in 1970, you know, Mm -hmm. John is extremely, uh, frustrated in a way where he wants to kind of, uh, really antagonize the government and antagonize which i mean fair completely mm-hmm. fair but like kind of go after them and give the people a message of like protest and to of rebellion and mm-hmm. to stand up you know which i think is great all around i'm not trying to uh crap on that at all he's he's but, got some weird politics which we'll but what into. i'll say is i think is that what the people needed or is is what the people need something like this yeah which feels like such an empowering um like an inspiration to love one another and to stay together and to, you know, stand up for what you believe in, but not in that kind of way. There's no anger. It's right. just peace and love. And is that, I mean, that's what the Beatles were all about. Yeah. But if, uh, right after the Beatles end, John goes off of that. And I've had a curious relationship with that. And we'll get into that next time. And also with imagine like, because I've, I've had a sort of evolving relationship with those types mm-hmm. of songs. Um, but I think that's true. And I think what George Harrison is really good at is making really broad universal themes. True. And having them not sound cliche or boring. True, because I think even one of his best songs, Something, off the Abbey yeah. Road. Yes, it is a love song, but I don't know. You don't have to look at it that way. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily all just a love song either. And like... 
there there are only a few songs on this album that get really specific lyrically the rest of them do have sort of that broad message which you're talking about yeah even i'd have you any time uh-huh. is really simple yeah but really effective songwriting yeah same with the the song following wawa yeah should we talk about wawa anything else to say about um one thing that i think is just crazy about george mm-hmm. in terms of his vocals on this record i think we should talk about and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a lot but this is the bit the first time you hear like the three-part maybe even more than three-part like george harmonies where it's just george and he's just harmonizing with himself and he's creating he's doing the same thing that the beatles did with john paul and george but this time it's just all george's yeah and it just it feels so good it feels it just sounds so amazing so and he's doing such a good job of it those background vocals the hallelujah is that him yeah Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. They're all okay. Georges. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And cool. I can't remember. Um, he, they like called it something. It was like, I think they talked about it in the Martin Scorsese documentary. It was like George Harrison featuring the, the George. Oh, George, okay. Something. They gave it a name. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The background singers. Oh, I didn't know him. that. Oh, I thought they were like, like gospel singers or something. I better make sure to, I know that, uh, I'm sure you're right. I mean, it is no. I know it's like that throughout a lot of the album, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it starts on this song. Okay, cool. Um, but the thing it's like George. There's so many things that, when you're just a Beatles fan, you don't exactly understand what all of them are really good at, mm-hmm. and what even though maybe they're not doing the, that thing, mm-hmm. that they have watched it been done and been a part of it for so long that they can do it just as well. That thing is is in my head is that I never knew that George was this good at harmony. Oh yeah, because in the Beatles he always is singing the low harmony usually. Mm-hmm. If they're doing harmonies or background vocals, it's usually John like singing the melody of that line and Paul doing the high and then George doing the low, and so he doesn't get to shine or come out as much when they're doing background vocals in that way. Mm-hmm. I think towards the end he does more, but. Um, what I'm saying is that in this album, he's doing so much of those background vocals, just him. And he's yeah. so good at it. He's so good at doing the high part, the melody, and the low part, and everything. And again, you don't get the sense that he's thinking about it on an intellectual or theoretical no, level. No, and I don't think he's trying that hard either. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. definitely think he's trying to get it right. Right, right. But I don't think he's he has to try that hard to get it in the first place. And he's not really thinking of it like most musicians would. The other thing about this song is like, by the end with the whole mantra thing it's really only two chord changes with the same lyrics over and over and over yeah. again and it really does feel like a chant it does you know? um and billy preston yeah. talks about that in the interview where he's like these are just gospel changes okay this is what it is okay yeah yeah the backing vocals were credited to the george o'hara smith singers oh okay okay which is just funny. george harrison i did not know that <laughs> yeah that's cool oh wait no i'm wrong Oh. Mostly George Harrison, but also Eric Clapton and Phil Spector. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Okay. Um, That's awesome. I didn't know that. Eric Clapton, the oh, God. wandering the bluesman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, please uh, watch the Monster Sazie documentary, Living in the Material World, just so you can see Eric Clapton's interview sections. Eric Clapton, when he's clearly like in a dentist's office on a break, <laughs> and he's like, sure, come by and fucking interview me okay and then i kind of view myself as the is the underdog lancelot of the yeah. 60s he, uh, he calls him number one the lancelot to the beatles camelot and that point you're rolling your eyes and then he starts saying stuff like he's like 
I can't, yeah, I'm sort of the wandering, um, uh, traveling bluesman, like, uh, he says, like, Messiah of the Blues or something like that. And then he starts like trying that. to, uh, excuse the fact that he stole George Harrison's wife. Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, he was basically Free like you have the it. the 60s. Yeah, he's, uh, he does not come off great in that and movie. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> he just get, he gets really close to the camera and he's like, hey, are you making bread over there? You make me some bread. Oh, that's what you got. Send me some bread. He's my address. That's where you kidding. That, that was me. Um, and it is funny in that movie because Paul is like lit so professionally and yes, cinematically, yes. and Clapton looks like shit, and he's got like crazy. De- I feel like Martin Scorsese just definitely knew that. Anyway, we're getting on. Uh, Wawa. Let's get into our our our, our, our themes, former our former theme song. Allegedly, and maybe definitely maybe not maybe our not. current theme song. No, no our our uh-uh. current theme song is an original composition. Yes, it has nothing to do with this song. Called at all. the All Pods Must Cast theme song. Yeah, nothing to do with this at all. But regardless, to say we we like this Wawa. song. Fucking love this song. This is my top three on the record. Really? Oh yeah. It's it's the first real rocker. It is. Um, yeah. Um, should we talk about the origination of the song when he first wrote it? Sure. I don't really um, know that. So you go. Oh wait. It's if any of y'all song. have seen go ahead. the Get Back documentary series by Peter Jackson, if you haven't, you should definitely go pause this podcast right now. Watch all of that nine hours straight. Eat some bread. Get really full on some bread. Come back. <laughs> are you are you being paid off by Big Bread? <laughs> Oh, uh, big um, bread anyway, is in your pocket. Anyway, anyway, um, go watch that, then come back, resume this podcast. Anyway, the day that George quits the Beatles, um, in week one of the Get Back sessions. See you around the clubs. See you around the clubs. Yeah. He goes home and he writes this. Yeah, he writes Wawa. Um, I think kind of in defiance towards Paul and John. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe more towards Paul. Yeah. But Paul and John. And it's um, funny not to interrupt you, but like, it's okay. I think it's yeah, easy. <laughs> if you'll give me permission, yeah, okay. Um, I think it's easy to read into a lot of these other songs and be like, "Ooh, is that about the Beatles?" And is that about the Beatles? You know, yeah. I think that's really easy to but do. But there are some this that we, one is this, pretty clear. This one and Run of the Mill are pretty darn clear. Well, and I love I love this line. Like there are lines in this song about the whole. You know, you made me such a big star being there at the right time, yeah. cheaper than a dime. That whole run is like, there's nothing else you could be talking about. You made me such a big star. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And then being there at the right time. Oh, that one just, because I think with that, I think in my head, he's talking about the fact that they're the songwriters of the group. Oh, yeah. Um, And and that they've been kind of the, and, ter- and because they're the songwriters, they've turned into kind of the front men. Right, almost right. like partnered frontman, mm-hmm. John, and it's like, yeah, the Beatles didn't have one frontman, but you could argue they had two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say that there's no frontman; they're all equal, and I do agree with that in, to some extent. But also, I don't know. Um, that's a hard question for me. And you can see how he could feel like yeah, he's George just there definitely at the right feels time. like that, and he Cheaper has every right to feel like that, yeah. and he has every right to be angry. Um, and also, you know, fucking, but it's just, oh, it's ruthless. And when you hear that, it just, it, it makes me feel something very deep when he says being there at the right time. Being there, And also I know how sweet life can be if I keep myself free. I mean, that feels very pointed uh-huh. and yeah. such a really triumphant, especially with this song. That's so like proving to them that, that he can do so much and rock so hard. And, and if I keep myself free, that feels very yeah. pointed. And this might I can be looking so much by myself. To a, l- a little bit, but I think 
the fact that he's saying, I don't need no Wawa. I mean, I know that's like, he's not crying. He's not upset about the fact that if he were to not be in the Beatles. Right, right. But also, I kind of feel like it has a double meaning in terms of like, I don't need a Wawa pedal to be good enough Uh to be a guitarist in the Beatles. Like, I don't need any gimmick or special feature to be uh, as good as I already am to be the guitarist of the Beatles. Ah, okay. I did. I never even thought about that. I, but I, that, I might be looking into it a little no, bit. No, I think I think that's a valid. That's I think that's and I think that's badass. I yeah. don't need no Wawa. Of course, the song has a Wawa on it, which is awesome. <laughs> but I think that's badass. No, he George doesn't Harrison need doesn't need a Wawa to be the best guitarist in the Beatles. That's a good point. That's that's because interesting. Because yeah, I always read the whole thing of like, I'm not going to cry and moan yeah, about this. I think it's I'm a double done. meaning. But but that's a good take. Yeah, I like that. And also Ringo on drums. I think this is the first time you can really hear that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we didn't mention Ringo Starr does drum on My Sweet Lord. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. he does. Um, and there are some where you listen to it, and I feel like, you know, after talking about him and listening to these Beatles songs so much, I'm starting to be able to pick, like, his style out more. Mm-hmm. And this one, and there's a couple others where I'm like, okay, that sounds like him. That's yeah, this fills. his Tom fills. Mm-hmm. Similar um, to Abbey Road, Tom Phil's. Any, anything else to say about Wawa? Um, some may argue that it's a little too long. I oh, yeah. love it. I think I enjoy it the entire time, and I like the way it just keeps going. And I think yeah. he should keep going. I think there are songs in here that are too long. <clears throat> the one that comes next. But this one, I think, deserves to go on as long as it does, and I'm happy the entire time. And again, the whole thing with the long songs for me, it, it makes me feel like I'm chanting mon- chanting mantras and oh, being this, lost in the this hit- was the big thing that you wouldn't tell me before yeah that. yeah because that's my whole thing for long <laughs> songs is like they feel like you're chanting and getting lost in that uh-huh. you know yeah um, that's what it, that's what it and, feels and wawa does me. feel kind of like that yeah it's like a rock and roll chant exactly exactly yeah. um and so i i really have no problem with the length on some wawa. of these songs but God, it's, it's so- uh it's so badass. It's a good song. George Harrison's most badass song, maybe. Oh, wow. Wow. Maybe. 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 It's definitely not the next one. And and actually, one more thing about this and segueing into the next one is I actually think this one and the next one are sort of of a piece together thematically. Yes. Um, But showing this one is Wawa is the triumphant. Fuck you. I don't need you anymore. I know how sweet life can be if I keep myself free. Um, fuck you, Paul McCartney, you know? Um, and then the next one is a little bit wow. more of the emotional, yeah, like sadness of, of having yeah. that. Yeah. Before lost we move on, also, I think it's just so fucking badass and awesome that, yeah, he wrote this when he left the Beatles that week, you know, and he came back the next week, um, only for the band to break up, not a year later, you know, by mm-hmm. September. Um, but that he wrote it when he left, but then he goes back to the Beatles anyway. But then when they actually break up, he makes it a song well, from when he did leave. Right. And this song feels like you're quitting a job and you're saying, fuck you. And yeah. in that moment, it feels really good. The next one feels like you're looking back on it and yeah. thinking about those well, relationships that is, are gone. Um, just start off about the origination of this song. This Isn't song was pity? actually written in 1966. and had. Isn't been, it a pity? Or? Yeah, it's oh, a okay. pity. Isn't it a pity the fourth track of All Things Must Pass covered by this lovely podcast version called one. All Pods Must Cast? Yes, version one. Um, 
it, it was written in 1966. According to Jeff Emmerich, the audio engineer of the Beatles, um, it had been rejected first from Sgt. Pepper's only Hearts Club Band. Mm. Um, maybe rejected off the White Album, but then it was brought up back again in the Get Back Sessions for that project and then was rejected again. Wow. So that actually, was best. that's very surprising to me because yeah. this song feels like a... I think he's using it as that now. Yes, exactly. And I think he knows that now. He definitely does because of those Hey Jude background uh-huh. albums. Um, and I think like it's very easy to say that we're reading too much into this. Um, no, but I, I think this is a... a this is the Hey Jude of that of the album, and I think he knows that. Well, not only the Hey Jude, but he like textually including the Hey Jude vocals in the back, the na 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 nas. He is signaling that this is a song about Paul or about the Beatles or mm-hmm. about. Um, and I think he's fitting lyrics that maybe he had already written into a newer context. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't exactly know what all lyrics were written from '66. And what were written, you know, in 69 or 70. Mm-hmm. Because they could have very well been changed to fit the, the theme of the song more at the time. But I think either way, this is the flip side to Wawa of a melancholy retrospective. Yeah, for sure. Um, about Paul. And I mean, I didn't notice the Hey Jude stuff until watching Concert for George. I was like, holy shit, they're singing the Hey Jude line over and over again at the end. They're singing... They're singing the yeah. na 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 na. Yeah, they're saying ah uh, na 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 na. They are. Yeah, yeah. What? In the like, it's in the very back of the mix. It's hard to hear, but like towards the very end of the song, they're singing ah uh, na 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 na. Isn't it a pity? Instead of Hey oh. Jude. But they're singing ah na na na. I mean, I I I thought that that was just a. The whole thing was just uh, a reference to Hey Jude. I didn't know it was the act, the actual Nana Nanas. They yeah. They, listen to it again because I didn't notice it until watching Wait, the movie and actually they seen... recreated them though, right? It's not like the actual. No, okay. no, they just sing it. Okay, but still, I didn't. But even know that. yeah, but that that I didn't know the Nana 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 Nanas, and that but... makes it to me like I. What I was saying is, I think it's easy to go. Okay, well, you're reading too much into this. If this is not actually about Paul, this is not actually, but I think he is saying this is about that by including the Hey Jude in the whole part of it. Yeah. I think this is definitely about that. Um, but it goes on way too long. Sure. I don't really have a problem with that, but I understand. I understand. Yeah. And honestly, okay. Now that we're even talking about it, the fact that this is so long here, but then mm-hmm. that it's also included at the end of the album. Do you think he's just kind of doing a middle finger to the Beatles by even doing that? Because it's been rejected from, oh, maybe. you know, multi- not one, but multiple projects. I, and so I, he's like, fuck you guys. I'm making it super long and I'm putting it on here twice. It could be. I, I, I don't see this song as much as a fuck you as much as it is like sort of a more empathetic um, melancholy. I think Wawa is more the fuck you. But I, I, I see that. But honestly... Um, yeah, it is a peaceful song and it is like kind of, uh, almost like offering regret or offering, right. um, yeah, sentiment for regret in the past. But then you also, we can't forget exactly how nasty George is during this period. He is. He's a, they're, I mean, they're all, as we talked about McCartney one, he said the only usable songs off of McCartney one were every night. Maybe I'm amazed. Yeah, he like, could be he like he doesn't really... give a fuck. He's mad and he doesn't care who knows it. And honestly, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put that past him at this point, which I honestly don't blame him either. Which is funny because that is kind of 
one of the inherent contradictions of George Harrison uh-huh. is yeah. that one, he's it's that such he preaches an, peace and he's so loving, but he's also and, pissed at the Beatles. Yeah, well, he's such like a spiritual, immaterial guy who lets everything float away, who is also able to hold on to grudges. Yes. You know, so that that is one of the big contradictions of him and also of this record. You yeah. know. Um, but it goes on too long. I kind of wish it ended at like maybe two and a half or three minutes. Doesn't it? Sure. Isn't it seven minutes? It's, it's, I don't, I, I don't know. It might be. Yeah. It's pretty long, but again, it is the whole hypnotic thing. That which, yeah. It's just cool. But, I just wish but I, I, it was I on get a different that. song. Yeah. It's set, It's over seven minutes. It's seven. Yeah. It is long. And the other thing though, is I think that allows for the Hey Jude thing to be very subtle and to not notice it. Cause it comes in at the very end. It comes in in like the last minute. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easy to miss because it is so long. Um, but anything else to say about that one? Um, not really. But I do think, okay, yeah, this song goes on a little too long. I think George knows that mm-hmm. because he he puts a absolute banger right after it. In case you got a little zoned out, in case you got a little sleepy while you're listening to that seven minute song. Although, although that starts right side two. Do you want to take a break before we get into side two? Uh, yes. Can we make some bread? Yeah, okay, let's make some bread. We'll be out. We'll be back in four hours. <laughs> Welcome back. You're here with All Pods Must Cast. We're talking all things must pass. We're flipping the record. Also, last episode, I acknowledged that I was drinking coffee and I mm. um, pre excused myself for any sips. Um, I realized I didn't do that at the beginning of this episode, and I wanted to sincerely apologize if you heard any sips. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, that was me. I, I Actually, will be it was honest. both of us. We're both sipping a cup mm, of I, I No, it wasn't me. It was all you. If oh. you heard any sips, I guarantee you, because I'm a professional. I'm a mm. professional. I know that that's not going to fly. One of us is drinking coffee out of a popular indie rock band, The Shins Mug. Mm. One of us is drinking coffee out of a fish mug. Let us know in our Gmail inbox and Instagram DMs inbox who DMs. you think was who. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a good engagement yes, plan. Yes. This, this is a good idea. Also, gonna build email us numbers. about any opinions you have about um, the solo Beatles work uh, and anything. Sure. Sure. <laughs> we'll read them. We'll respond to the best ones. <laughs> yes. We, we're not, we can't guarantee we'll respond to. I'll try. I'll try. But if, if it's really dumb and really stupid and not worth my time, I won't be responding and i have a very high opinion of my time so a lot of this is not gonna <laughs> exactly make the but still please do email us please email us you might because if, even if you email us and we don't abuse. respond that makes us feel good about ourselves yeah, um true. and we need that right now yeah what yeah our our, our future guest is is texting me oh god uh, anyway well do you want to talk guest. about ooh, you want to talk about uh what is life um, this is my favorite song on the record. What is Life's oh, wow. my favorite song. Your favorite song. I already said that early in the podcast. Oh, you did? Oh, my bad. Um, I also said that before the podcast. Uh, you did? <laughs> I, I remember you, you saying you liked it. You were not listening. Li- I remember you saying you liked it. No one listens to me. You said you liked it. Um, I guess I do remember that. And while we were making that bread, that's all I was talking about. And I was just, Ba-na-na-na. that's my favorite song on the record. Oh, oh. really? Do you hand me the flower? Here's the oh, flower, Jerry. Oh, I forgot that we did that. Yeah, we did. We spent the last four hours making bread. 
okay. Um, email us at allpodsmustachesgmail.com. Gone over the email like 50 times. And it's, it's not About that hard to remember. It's just the name of the we show. <laughs> what kind of bread do you think we were making? Okay. Honestly, I'll, I'll let you take this one because I like this song a lot, but I don't really honestly have much to say about it. Really? I think it's really good, and I think it's a good rocker, um, but you go ahead. Okay. This is probably one of the biggest uh, arrangements on the whole record. In terms of, it has everything. Very um, spectacular. So many yeah. guitars, s- glorious strings, horns, a banger of a chorus. I'm pretty sure it was released as a the single after My Sweet Lord. Really? Um, which... Yes, it could have been released as the first single, and I think it would have still gotten number one. Um, I think this song is just as good as any other Beatles song. That's my big take. Mm-hmm. This song is just as good as any other Beatles song. I, this song, I would agree, yeah. Um, in terms of my favorite songs by George Harrison, there are two, and it's Something and What Is Life, Ooh. and they're pretty darn close. Wow. Um, I, I think that he shows off his abilities as a guitar player, as a vocalist, mm-hmm. as an arranger, as a musician, as a lyricist, a writer, just everything all around on this track, I, I think it's 10 out of 10. It just uh, makes me it makes me feel something the same way that a lot of Beatles songs do. Like something does. It makes you feel like something. Like something, yes. Emotions, good ones. Yeah. Happy ones, sad ones sometimes. Yeah. Those are all emotions. It, I just think lyrically... Um, like you were saying earlier, it's such a broad question. What is my yes, life exactly. without you by my side? That could be literally anything. I have that written down too. Whether it's that's someone, yeah, thing. whether it's a, a romantic partner or a friend or even like, I don't know, something material or even an addiction, like anything. And it, yeah. no matter what it is, I've, I've compared it to so many different things in my life. Beatles reference. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it, it's, just, it can apply to so many things and make me feel emotional about so many things with such a just a simple question. And it's able to be broad and universal without being cliche. Also, what or a great, what a great riff! And also, it yeah. feels Beatlesy. It feels like a paperback writer riff or maybe a yeah. day tripper riff. And also, the guitar tone is very similar to something he was using, kind of mid Beatles territory. It's mm. very similar to the guitar tone on "Think for Yourself" on Reversal. And the whole specterness of this song too works for me because it is one of those things where everything is slowly set up so that by the time you hit the chorus and you've got the strings and the horns and all this stuff going it it it's convincing to me yeah. it doesn't make the me roll my are eyes probably one of my favorite parts um it, it sounds good and this is like why people wanted to work with him i think yeah um is stuff like this because when it works it really works yeah um and, and on this song it works oh it's just such a it's been in so many um like romantic scenes in movies or like not just romantic um but like triumphant glorious scenes and like yeah. movies because it's that it's that feeling it's that taking back something that's yours or yeah or just uh crying out about something that that you love or that you miss or it's a very grand song yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's hard because in terms of songs by solo beetle members post Beatle breakup. Mm-hmm. This is like in my top five. Wow, songs ever. And See by them, and so it's really hard to talk about because I, I can't even really talk about why I love it so much. I just, I just do. See, for me, I, I really do love this song. I, I like basically every song on this album, but it, it just doesn't. Some of the other rockers, I hits me a little bit more. My sweet lord, um, waiting on you all. Really, um, they, those just kind yeah. of 
are in the same vein to me as these, and those just hit me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say I don't. Did like you know this song. song as a kid, though? No, I didn't. Okay, that might yeah. be the difference. Maybe, yeah. I've known yeah, this song, yeah, for. since I was eight or nine. It's a great song, though. I mean, it is. It's yeah. um. Uh, what's next? If not for you, do you have anything more to say about? I think Blue you should. Ki- uh, well, oh, God, the guitars. Um, I love how the the bass follows the guitar when the bass mm. comes in and does the same. Riff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like how Paul follows the riff on Day Tripper. Good old Klaus Borman, probably. Yeah. Um. Good job, Klaus. Yeah. Sorry, Klaus. I messed up your name earlier. Not okay. Um, <laughs> I'll make you bread. Um, okay, I'm sorry about the bread thing. You know what? You don't have to be sorry. <laughs> you, you've you've got a you've got a bit that you're sticking with, oh, and I respect that. Okay, okay. Anyway, I love this song. Thank you, George Harrison. You're, you're amazing. welcome. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you're welcome for that song. That sounds like Ringo. Yeah, I I kind of have one Beatles voice. I kind of have one Paul voice. It's a little different. Mm. Oh, you know, we, we were working on this song. That we still were working on that like song. Yeah, it does. I've got one Beatles voice. Uh, speaking of, if not for you. Yeah, you kicked that one off. Bob Dylan. Hey, hey, Bob, mind if I sit in on one of these? Yeah, sure. Hey, do you want one of these songs? Okay, I have a question for you, actually. Yeah, okay. Um, Was, if not for you, released already? Um, or was I know it came out the same year on that album. Yeah, on New Morning. But which is on he wrote it back in the in like mid sixties, right? Um, Isn't that alternate take of "If Not for You" like from a little bit before? Or was that also from nineteen seventy? That is from nineteen seventy, I think. Um, because so I'm trying to think, I, and I might be a little bit off on these dates because George goes to visit Dylan during like one of his nineteen seventy sessions. And that's when he's recording Self-Portrait and New Morning. And he's recording If Not For You for New Morning. And that's when George gets it. And I and I think that's when they record it together um, is for that. So I think Wait, that's when in, did they record it together? I don't know, to be honest. They I, did record it together, though? Yeah, on that one that you're talking about with, with both of them. Wait, the Bob D- Dylan alternate take of If yes. Not For You has George on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him playing guitar? Yeah. No fucking wonder yeah. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's what? like... Are I you didn't re- know that. When he's like, are you ready, George? Wait. He says that at the beginning. I'm going to pull that up and make sure I know the one that I'm... Yeah, on on uh, what Kai is talking about is there's a version of this, this song. Yeah, on on the one of the first bootleg series, like the official bootleg Bob Dylan albums that has Bob Dylan and George Harrison playing on it. Don't hear the... Are you ready, George? But... That comes in later. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll oh. listen. We'll listen to it later, and okay. I'll show you. Okay. Um, but oh, the guitar is so okay. So yeah. Here's my theory about what why that was is why the guitar was so similar on George's version of "If Not for You," was that he, Bob Dylan, sent him that. No, that's as, both of them. That's crazy. Yeah, and wow. that to me is kind of there's a new tradition of me learning case. things on this podcast. Yeah, there you go. But to me, that version of that song is kind of the best case scenario for it. Of I think like, it's the best version of it, to be me honest. Me too. And I like that version a little more than I liked, which is crazy because the, the one on All Things Must Pass, the arrangement is better. It's a little more soothing. It's a little more cohesive. But mm-hmm. I like the, the roughness and the, the, the authenticity of that one. Yeah. It feels a little more emotional to me. The guitar just feels so emotional. And that's why, because it's George Harrison. And um, it's funny. Did I ever... Yeah, because cause 
I really like the George Harrison version, obviously. And for a long time, I considered that the standard version, mm-hmm. even though I love the Dylan version that's on New Morning. That one's a little more breezy and light, like a lot of the songs on that album. But it doesn't are. have the riff. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I. That's the thing I love most about the song. Yeah, and the the version with both of them is kind of both case best case scenario because mm-hmm. you have Bob singing and like having these words that he's created Mm -hmm. and then George on guitar and it's kind of this beautiful combination and it's weird that they didn't use that version for either of their albums yeah (laughs) I kind of wish they did because I like it both better than either of them yeah I do like the way that Bob sings it just a little bit more but although I think the way George sings it is great yeah me too and I mean it's it's I I, I love this song this is maybe never actually said it we've been implying it but um, yes, this song was written by Bob Dylan. Yeah, covered. This is a cover on this on this album. It's yeah, a cover. But he got it from that session that they yeah. were both at. That's um, so awesome. And this is maybe my favorite song on this album. What? Really? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Damn. Because the the mode of this album that I kind of tend to be drawn to are the more intimate kind of country ish influence, more yeah, Americana the, the brush type drums. Songs. Yes. <sighs> Any song with the brush drums on yeah. it are kind of my favorites on That's this album. Fair. I do love brush drums. Um, and I like the quieter, rootsier ones. And this one is just so beautiful. And this one coming in after the rocker is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's so perfect. The, the track listing is just is perfect in the beginning. I also like this song because um, I have to shout out my high school buddy who was in my high school band, Rain Wood. Oh, hello, uh, Rain. Because uh, George Harrison gives him a shout out on this song. He says... Rainwood gathered too. <laughs> so I, uh, so wow. anyway, so just like how he says, I love Dick later. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> um, but and also, yeah, the so the I love the sound of the arrangement of this. We already mentioned the brush drums, also the organ sound from Billy Preston, plus oh. the slide guitar. I it just it all works in such a and as much as I do like the huge wall of sound specter stuff on some of this. I really like the more intimate mm. band stuff. Um, yeah. And so it kind of sounds a little... that You can hear a little bit more of the band influence on this one, I think. Yeah, it definitely it mixes it up. It mixes the album up in a really nice way. So I think this is kind of the, uh, the first song we get that's really like that. I mean, I'd Have You Anytime is a little, but not as evident. Yeah. Because like, it's more dreamy. And actually, this side, too, might be my favorite side on the album because it has a lot of songs like that are like that. Uh, uh, behind that locked door and run of the mill, mm-hmm. those three so close together. I I just love. So where does side two? Is this side two end on Boreal of Darkness? Run of the mill. Is the okay, last that's song the last song. Okay. Yeah. Um, but those songs being in that mode, uh, more Americana, intimate mode. I don't want to belabor that, but that is the the sound that I'm drawn to more on this album. Even though I like all of it. But if not for you, is it's definitely one of my favorites. But yeah. I don't really have anything more to say about it. I love it. It's it feels very genuine and emotional, and I think it's very sweet that George covered Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, for this for his debut solo album, there's a cover on it, which I think is very it's unique and really cool and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the really awesome thing about it is that um, most people think it's a George song. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of times with covers, um, I'm a big fan of promoting the original and the one who wrote it, and which, of course, I am for this too. But I think George does it in such an authentic way where he, it feels like, yes, he's 
you know, um, putting his own spin on it a little bit, but I don't think he's necessarily been doing that on purpose. I think he's just covering it because he genuinely loves the song. That yeah, much. I mean, this is basically the definitive version of that song. Yeah, and I really like the Dylan version, and I like New Morning. Um, but it it, it this is the song, really. Yeah, I mean. Which I think that's just so sweet that I think he just loved the song that much and and valued yeah their experience so much that he just wanted to cover it, which I think is awesome. But I, I think we would both recommend the version um, on the yes. Bob Dylan bootleg volumes Please one look through up that three. Version. I didn't even know that version until this year, and I've yeah. fallen in love with it. And honestly, and it's in my top ten most listened to songs of the wow. past six months. Yeah, it's on the it's on the volumes one through three of the bootleg series. It's uh, look it up. Anyway, crazy, that more Bob door. Dylan content. This next song um, was written with Bob Dylan in mind Yeah, upon their meeting Which, and writing together and stuff. This this is also up there for me for my favorite song. And and the whole Dylan connection, whether or not that, like, whatever. I Either yeah. way, either it's way. another one of those things that it has such a beautiful, universal thing that we were talking about earlier with What Is Life. And such a good guitar lick, too. Yeah, yeah, and it feels very country and and like out in the 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 west. Yeah, or out in Woodstock in the big pink with the band. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just um, very sweet. I love the same. It's similar to the riff, and if not for you, where it just kind of I don't know, it just kind of makes you feel warm inside. And it's a very empathetic song, um, and very tender and very nice. And I, it's mm-hmm. it's got that intimate sound too. Um, yeah, I love this one. It, it is one of my favorites. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it. <laughs> what, that what being else do said, I have to say about it? I don't know. Um, so, he wrote it to Bob Dylan when they met and wrote together. And I hear that it was because Bob, um, at the like when they were first... Because it was the first time they'd like hung out just them, you know. Mm-hmm. They'd met a few times before with all the other Beatles... But do you know if it was George or Bob who reached out first? Well, what I had read about this song is that it was written for him right before his oops, right before his appearance at the Isle piece. of Wight uh, festival, which is like his first live performance in a long time. Oh, but either way, I mean, it doesn't really matter. That's you cool. Know. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I thought it was just about the way that I think uh, what I read is that it's like when um, two friends meet who don't know each other very well at mm. first. And when you first meet, there's kind of that little awkward um, phase or moment where, you know, you're trying to be cordial and you're trying to be polite and you're not really getting to the mm. meat of things. Interesting. Or not really um, letting out all your emotions at once, you know, because it's, you just met them and you feel you have to be cordial and polite and kind of go about things the expected way. Mm-hmm. And that this is a song not only written, because that's how he felt, you know, when he, when him and Bob first started hanging out, but also in just in terms of how when you start hanging out with someone new or starting to connect with someone new. Um, but there is that period where you, you kind of, you know, like show me your true self. I want to connect with you. I, and mm. I, you know, want to be here with you in this moment. Um, and I think it's a really sweet song because of that. Because yeah. I feel that a lot. Yeah. With new people. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. It's like, even irregardless of the Dylan thing, it's like these song these lyrics stand, um, on yeah. themselves really well. Yeah. And, even uh, I mean, That doesn't, make it better or worse honestly it's just yeah a, it's just an interesting it's, it's cool to know though and like it speaks to george even though and we've talked about it he's like very 
vindictive sometimes and he has a lot of fuck you songs on this album but he's also very deeply empathetic and uh and this song um has a lot of that in it Mm -hmm. um yeah it's one of my favorites and i love that sound the you know country sound but Mm -hmm. um let let it it down down. this is this is the one where it starts and i'm like okay rolling my eyes yeah yeah it takes me out of it um just imagine if it went from behind that locked door to the chill section of this song. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? I, I would love if this song started with the verse. Or at least like... Oh, you sit in another chair? Yeah. That... that sl- Because like... The thing is, I I am... Okay, I will play devil's advocate to both things. Because okay. I was thinking about this earlier today when I was listening to this um, on the way home in the car. And I was thinking about how much... Every time I listen to this album, the bop, bop always just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way, and especially yeah, coming too. from Not For You and Behind That Locked Door. It's just a little too much and too intense and way too in your face. But it does, in my opinion, make the verse better in some yeah. ways because it's like, whoa, that's a lot of dynamic contrast. And I think that that is really, really cool and unique mm-hmm. within the song's on these records, not that these songs don't have dynamic contrast and build and have chiller moments, but I think this is definitely um, the highest amount of dynamic contrast of the whole album in terms of going from one of the biggest sounding moments on the record to going to a very, very chill, dreamy moment. That's true. Which almost kind of feels like, I think this the, ch- the verse of this song feels most similar to I'd Have You Anytime from what we've already heard. Yeah. In terms of it's kind of that dreamy, um, slower groove. Um rubato and the vocal kind of thing to me though when it starts i'm i'm just a little exhausted yeah. <laughs> i'm just like okay i get yeah. it yeah it is like that it is like i get it and and it's there are like, moments like this on this record which we've had nothing but absolute stellar bangers well isn't mm-hmm. it that it goes on too long but absolute stellar bangers up until this point but there are moments like this on this record we have to acknowledge where it's like okay all right you're and trying I a little just, too hard here. I don't love this song in general. I don't know. I just and, it's never connected with me. And like I don't love when phrases that I don't think are that important are kind of over dramatized. Mm. The phrase let it down and it's I'm pretty sure just referring to a woman's hair. Like let your your oh. love hang all around me. Oh. Like let your let your hair down mm-hmm. around me. Okay. Which is cool and sweet, but I I don't think it needs to be like, bop, bop, let it down. Yeah. Let your hair, pull, pull the hair out of the hair tie. Yeah, whoa. It's, it's like bop, almost bop. a, it's like, a, okay. It's almost right. a parody of Phil Spector production at the beginning. Yeah. It you is. Know, it's like, good <laughs> fucking God, man. It's we too did it. much. The horns and they're so fucking loud. Yeah. If you, if you're listening in AirPods and you got it turned up all the way for, if not for you and behind that locked door, you're going to be eerie. Shocked out of yeah. your, out of your boots. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I really, I have no, uh, I don't know. I have no I, I connection like the to lyrics and the verses. I love the, sure. the line, though, you sit in another chair. <laughs> I don't, I, I just, I really love that. Yeah. I can feel you here. Um, I, 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 I honestly have nothing to say. I, I, okay. I have no love um, for this would, would we say that this is our least favorite on the album thus far? Uh, yeah. I might like it a little more than Isn't It a Pity. I like, I definitely like Isn't It a Pity more. This okay, one probably fair. is my least favorite so okay, far. Okay, thus far. So far. Yeah. I don't know. They're kind of tied. Because I do really love the verse, but I don't know if it makes up for how much I'm shocked at the beginning. 
I think it's I don't know. fine. I've heard other other people say that they really love the the way that it, it that it's like a banger when it opens. I can see that. I can see. I can easily see somebody really liking this song. I just I just have no yeah, connection to I, it. I kind of I feel you more than I feel the other. Though I can see both sides. Yeah. Uh, although the next one is is perhaps one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Run of the mill. I love this song. Oh, I love it. Horns. And so like it, glorious. it like really. This to me speaks to the whole idea of he's not thinking of meter and time mm-hmm. in an intellectual way. Yeah, this one is really hard to count, and you just really have to feel it. And it it makes me feel bad for whoever the drummer was, if it was Ringo or somebody else. But like, it's got a weird yeah, feeling. Wait, now that I'm thinking about it, I yeah, just think about that. That's the thing. If you think about it too hard, it doesn't make sense. You just have to feel it, and you have to know it on a more deeper level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm, like, doing it in my head right Yeah, now. you're thinking about it. Yeah. And it's... Uh, if you guys want to know what Jack's talking about, pause this podcast right now and go listen to the listen intro. To it. But it... There's it definitely some weird, like... Works. It's like you think it's in 4-4, but then it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that, like, I don't know if that's an influence from, uh, like more kind of raga music or whatever but it it has a different feel from everything else and you can't think about it and i think too much. there when george does that with spots on this record where it feels like you can't keep up or you can't um it makes you feel kind of like uh lost in the song but then also feeling like you don't have a ground to stand on mm. so you're just kind of lost within the air of this song yeah you which i think to... he does that with the really kind of more emotional songs mm-hmm. um because I think I'd have you anytime does that um, with the time, but then also kind of with the progression. It, it, yeah, definitely. You, it's like you're trying to grab onto something, like looking for the resolve in a song or, you know. And two songs that I think are good at that too, that kind of are almost the key to a lot of songs on this album are Something and Here Comes the Sun. True. Because Here Comes the Sun has a yeah, similar is, feel yeah. to this song, uh, meter-wise. Yeah. Um, but there's something special about that, and I think also kind of a spiritual quality. Yeah. About that. Um, but no, this is this is one of my favorites. I mean, that's I love this side because it has, if not for you, uh, behind that locked door, run of the mill. Um, I I don't love let it down, but those three are are three of my favorites. Yeah, and it opens with what is life with. Geez, yeah, true. That's such a good opener. Um, the other thing. I was oh yeah. The other thing I was gonna mention is, do you, uh, should I tell you my favorite song right now from this album? Yeah, uh, it's uh, "I Live for You," oh, the man. song that's not even on this album. That's your favorite. That's my favorite. Honestly, I respect it. It's up there for me. Yeah, it would be in the top three if I would if I was considering it. It's it's my favorite. Can, it's my favorite. Do you know about? Okay, is this something we're gonna have to research in between parts? Maybe as to why it's not on the official album, but was included on. The, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of know. songs that got caught out or got cut out of this, and it was um, circulated one? a while on bootlegs and stuff. And then the first time it was released officially, quote unquote, was on the 2014 edition. But it is my favorite song from this album, and it's Fair. not even on the album. I I um, love it. I, it's one of my yeah. favorites. And it's uh, is it is it after where does where is it in the 2014? I don't remember. I just wanted to uh, to talk about it right now before I forget. Up. If I if I let me see. 
uh, yeah, it's after run of the mill. Okay, that's why I want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that one, I just have that feeling of a run of the mill into uh-huh. "I Live for You." And the, should, do you want to talk about that song a little bit? I think we should. Yeah, because the pedal steel from Pete Drake mm. is so beautiful. It's one of my. It's honestly one of my favorite recordings of pedal steel. Yeah, it's really because also the thing that it. Okay, and this is a big point. I don't know if I want to be making right now. I'll get into it more later. Um, but the whole idea of that George has been studying uh, Eastern music um, and with sitar and all of this um, mm-hmm. is that uh, it's not like it's not broken down like Western music in terms of their microtones, much more microtones, right, right, and their scales than there are in Western scales. Um, and I think the idea of the pedal steel and slide guitar being able to uh, mm. represent that yeah. in Western music style is something very, very unique um, to not only this album, but George Harrison. Mm-hmm. Even if Pete Drake is doing it, I think it was definitely an idea of George's because he also does it on slide too, where he uses microtones that aren't That's technically in Western music scales, right. but they're in Eastern scales. Well, and the thing I love about that's a, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. But uh, the other thing I love about the pedal steel on that, and especially that song, is it is something that's so um, associated with American country music. Yeah. And to take it out of that context and put it in a completely new thing, it it makes it sound like something you've never heard before. True. Even yeah. though it sounds it's, it's, so natural on country music, it sounds it's completely very, very, foreign. It's, it's part of the unique sound of this album Yeah, that distinguishes it from anything else that George Harrison has been involved in thus far. It doesn't sound like any Beatles song. It doesn't sound like any... Um, the, I'm, the slide guitar and the pedal still specifically, I mean, doesn't sound like any Beatles song that doesn't sound like any Beatles song George has even written. Yeah. It's so unique to this album and George's sound because it's something completely new that he realized that he's really can be gifted at because of how much training he's had, not only in guitar, but then also in sitar with mm-hmm. Eastern music, that it all kind of combines and forms this like delic- delicately complex form of performance for George Harrison where he has like ultimate expression. And um, not only techniques, but also styles of music that he's been experimenting with. Yeah. He's able to extract what he wants from different styles that he's heard and worked on to create something new. And I think I Live For You is also one of those, like, I'd have you anytime that feels like it's breathing, that it's moving, that it's unfolding, that something is kind of cascading over you. Um, And why they didn't put it on the album, I have no idea. Because I think it is my favorite. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Yeah, if y'all are listening to um, the 2020 remix version of All Things Must Pass, um, which I do think is the best version to be listening to if you want to listen. Yes. Make sure you're listening to the 2020 mix. Um, it's definitely much improved upon from the 2014 remaster and also has the correct track list. Right. Um, which right. the 2014 remaster doesn't. But that's the first version that I got into, which I think is one of the reasons I was so intimidated by the album to begin with because there's just, it's overloaded with stuff that's not on the original. And it has like, this is the one exception though that things. I think it definitely belonged on the original, but was it for some reason? Yeah. But I always thought it was until the 2020 mix came out. And then listening to that, I was wondering why I Live For You wasn't after Run of the Mill and then found out it wasn't on the original track list, which I think is blasphemy. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of good stuff that was left off. And maybe we'll get into the demos and outtakes someday. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah. But um, 
it is true. I'm not as much of an audiophile as you are. And sometimes like we've talked about this, <laughs> but remasters, remasters, remixes. remixes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are like harder for me to pick up mm -hmm. on. But this one, especially with the Phil Spector stuff, like yeah. makes a big difference. It does. Um, it becomes less muddy and you can hear. So mm -hmm. yeah, that one is, but I live for you is a Should big we talk omission. About, we kind of skipped over one in the middle a little bit. Sure. Talk I mean, more about that and close it out. I've got... Because that's the end of side B. What, what do you think that... I, the only thing is... I just wanted to talk about how it's written to Paul. That's what I was going to say is yeah. like, I know people say that. I, I don't really... I guess so. It feels... The lyrics feel call outy to me in a yeah. non-specific way. Well, I don't know. I think it's, it's very specific lines like wondering how I lost your friendship. Yeah. But that feels that feels like it could be applied to a lot of things. It does. But... Uh, I don't know. I think it definitely is written to Paul. Sure. In my opinion. But I mean, but yeah, it could be applied to any. And maybe yeah. he wasn't. That's not all he's thinking about. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure when he's writing a lot of these, he's thinking about more than just, you know, yeah. a specific thing about Paul. But I do think that a lot of it is towards Paul and asking why there's been so much retribution and so much um, why he's been so oppressed as, a, as an artist and a musician. And he feels hurt and he feels as though he's not to blame for any of it. And. Paul is to blame, yet he doesn't realize he's to blame. And when is he going to wake up and realize? Sure. I mean, I, I could very easily see that. To me, it's not like textually as apparent as in something like Wah Wah yeah. or um, even Isn't It a Pity with the yeah. Hey Jude vocals. But I, I could easily see that. Um, I think it is something that is also one of those universal things. And it feels call outy again. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what do you make of the title? I, I have no idea. Run of the Mill. I don't know. Run of the I mill think, means like, you know, it means ordinary. Like, yeah, any other day. Kind right, of thing. right. But I don't I, know. I don't know. I, I, if that's I don't know some jab that. at Paul, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it's a jab in terms of um, how Paul thinks of George. Ooh, I run of the mill. I, I had no take on it, so I was curious if you I don't know. Maybe it's a specific reference to something. Could be. That we don't know. I mean, some of these song titles uh, feel. The thing a that hurt. The, the thing that kind of makes me sad is that. Um, Paul is writing songs at John. John is writing songs at Paul. George yeah. wrote songs at both of them, and they didn't even write. You know, like they didn't. They didn't even care. They didn't. I don't think they even put in the effort to. I don't. Paul didn't write any songs to George. All, you know, and did, did yeah. he? Did he even care that? Or well, know about Run of the Mill or Wah Wah, and isn't it a pity? You think? It's possible. I don't know. It, did he even know? <laughs> who knows? But we've we've talked about we talked about it on the last one, but. There definitely is the feeling of it's those three versus him mm -hmm. versus Paul, um, which we'll get into more on the next later. album we're discussing. Yeah, in a couple episodes. Well, may, yeah, and especially on Imagine and Ram and all that yeah. stuff. But um, well, should we wrap it up for today? Should, for we should now? wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, crazy first time we're doing this. Yeah, this album is so um, giant and also glorious, mm -hmm. and we have a lot to talk about. Um, we're splitting it up into two different parts. Yeah. Um, we got side one and side two and background yeah. covered it here. Um, but we got a lot more to talk about and a lot more to get to. And we have a couple more voices that will be yeah, joining us next special time. guests. That are big fans of this album and are very credible um, opinions to be shared. So that'll be fun. We have guests and uh, a whole lot more songs to talk about from this great album. A lot more bake in between these episodes. Um, in so enter any general them. stuff, I, right. I guess. Very often, every day, every night, Paul McCartney reference. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is I think these uh, first first songs on this album are obviously uh, very seminal in his career. Yeah, and uh, there's I think there is a little more to talk about with these first two sides than there. Yeah, not that there isn't a lot to talk about still, but in terms of what people think of when they think of this album, what people talk about the most, uh, it leans a little bit more heavily into this first two sides. So, and um, it makes you think. We'll we'll get into this more, but like, was did this even need to be a triple album? Who knows? We'll talk about that. I yeah. think there's there's more stuff to discuss next week. Mm-hmm. So join us next time for part two of All, all Things, Things Must, must pass. pass. Covered Good on all, all pods must cast. cast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Follow us on Instagram. Email us at allpodsmustcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. On Twitter. Um, and, and on Reddit. Rate, oh, do we have a Reddit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think we have any followers, though. Uh, and if you like it, rate and review if you want. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I hope you like our new theme song. Um, I don't need no Wawa. Bye. Bye. Bye.